Well, today I'm going to be taking a little different route in the scripture because it is Holy Week. And I think it's important to draw our attention to some of the passages that we come around in our Christian calendar to. So today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at this triumphal entry story. And then we're going to turn the pages and we're going to look at Luke chapter 23. So we're going to stay, I thought it'd be easy just to stay in the book of Luke, but we're going to look at these two different passages, one where the crowds are praising Jesus and one where they're calling out to crucify him. Very, it's amazing that there's this contrast within the scripture. I'm going to give you a little insight to my time as a Bible college student, some 16 years ago, I was wrapping up my studies at Tyndale, and I still remember some lessons that they gave us in preaching. One was this, is that um, when we read these stories in the scriptures, it's important for me as a preacher, but for all of us as as a a congregation together to um, envision ourselves within the story. That this is one way that I, as a preacher, can connect you to the Scripture is to not only just read it as an outside observer, but ask yourself the question, who am I in this story? And I want to suggest this today. Let's not just say, who am I in the story, and present ourselves as the good guys just praising Jesus, say, yeah, go Jesus, we're so glad you showed up, you know, waving the palm branches. No, it's wonderful to be like the kids today, waving the palm branches, singing praise to Jesus. We are on that side of the cross where we realize what Jesus was doing, right? Amen? Praise the Lord, we can see that. But imagine, this is how one um, Old Testament scholar says, we need to read the Bible like an ancient Israelite, right? We, we often read the Bible in our modern context and we take these verses and we want to apply them to our own lives and make it feel good about how we're living today. But reality is, is this is a book that was written 2,000 years ago for people who lived in the Middle East who were waiting for their Messiah, their rescuer. That's why, as Pastor Liz communicated to us this morning, this word Hosanna means rescuer. They're waiting for the deliverer. They had a promise before them, if you remember, that Moses, back in the uh, Old Testament, in the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible, Moses prophesied that there's going to be another one who comes just like him. Another rescuer. Remember Moses? He rescues them from Egypt. Well, now Rome is oppressing them and they're waiting for someone to come and rescue them from Rome. And they're like, yes, we're going to have someone else come and take us. And so I can imagine being the people who have the palm branches, waving their palm branches. And what are they thinking? They're thinking we're going to get to see like plagues, like God rained down plagues. Why do you think? Why do you think the disciples said, hey, Why don't we just call down fire from heaven? Why? Because they read their Bible. They know God did those things before in the past on cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. God has the power to do that. But remember, when we read the Gospels, it's the good news, not just for the people of Israelites. It's for the world. It's to go into all the nations and preach this good news. And so God can't just wipe out the people who are against Israel. God wants to rescue everyone. And so they were celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem, not knowing what was going to happen. They thought they were, that he was just coming for them, but he was coming, he, got, he had bigger plans in mind. And so their, their expectations ended up being disappointments. 
Hopefully you can see this in the scripture, how things turned within this holy week from a moment of celebration to their disappointments coming. This leads me to another insight to when I preach or when, when you read the scriptures, one thing you can do. So yes, you can put yourself within the story. Think of yourself of dif- as different characters within the story. Another thing you can realize is the scripture speaks of two things. You might be aware that the scripture speaks of God's plan for us and the Bible gives us theology. Theology means the study of God. We learn about God in the scriptures, Amen. That's why you read it, right? You want to know more about God. I want to know him. Read the Bible. But you know what the Bible Bible also does? I believe the Bible also speaks to our humanity, our sinful nature. The Bible speaks to our condition. So yes, it does tell us about who God is. In, but, but often I think when we read these stories and we put ourselves in a place like, well, I like to see myself as King David slaying Goliath. Oh yeah, that's kind of easy. But you remember also King David also uh, had an affair with uh, Bathsheba. So do you put yourself in David's shoes in those circumstances? Probably not. You know, like there's, it speaks to the, Human condition. I'm learning psychology. You guys know that right now. That I'm studying um, counseling. And counseling is um, uh, based on psychology. The study of the human psyche. That's the human mind. And every time, anything I learn in class. And i got to realize that I chose specifically not to study at a Christian institution. Because I wanted to see how the world sees human nature. And guess what? The Bible and the way the world sees itself is still just as broken. The world knows they're broken. Psychology knows that we have problems. Now, the solution, and I've told you guys this a few times, the way they think the solution needs to come and the way we see the solution is two different things. But I want to encourage you, when you read your Bible, the Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible doesn't speak tell you how to fix yourself. But the Bible does tell you the problem. And as we read these contrasting stories of, yes, they're praising God. Yes, they're excited that Jesus is coming. But then the next few, a few days later, they're yelling, crucify him. How could this be? And as we ask that question, how could this be? I want you to ask yourself, how could you possibly do that? Because we, we always like to take ourselves out of the story and say, well, I, that wouldn't be me, right? I'd, I wouldn't approve of that. The reality is, I, I wonder this about the human nature, is how quickly we go with the crowd. How quickly we, we join the mob. How easy is it for public opinion to be swayed on us? And some of us like to put labels on ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm a conservative Christian, or uh, I, I'm a little bit more progressive, or, or, or whatever title you want to put on yourself. And I say, how easy are we as human beings to be swayed by public opinion, by our peers, to get persuaded in a direction that God never wanted us to go in? People are even afraid to call themselves Christian these days. And I would say it's important that we define what a Christian truly is. A Christian is tr- should be someone who follows Jesus. Someone who loves the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
But as we read this story, I want you to see how easy it is to be swayed outside of that definition, how to follow public opinion, and how to just be persuaded by the the mob. Even becoming a Christian, people do it under compulsion. And I do urge people to follow Jesus, don't get me wrong, but don't do it because you're just being urged. Do it because you have a desire to know God and know Jesus. Not just because the person next to you gives you that nudge, right? Some of you have been back, back in the day, you'd go to crusades, Billy Graham crusades or, or youth, youth events. Amy Beth and I, when we were young, go to these youth events and, and, and kids would flock to the front, right? Run to the front just to give their hearts to Jesus. And I wonder how fruitful some of that was because people were just giving the nudge to someone and being compelled to do it because everybody else was doing it. But God knows our hearts, right? And some of you made that decision with a friend and it stuck and you really wanted to follow Jesus. But we also know people who made the decision and they were doing it because their friend was doing it. Why am I sharing this? Because I want you to see how easy it is for us to not just be the good guys in the story, but that we were the bad guys who needed to be rescued. So let's read Luke chapter 19. And I believe I'm starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached, approached Bethphage and Bethany on the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and enter it. You will find a colt there. No one else has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as it had been told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it, and went along, spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place, the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." I tell, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I'm going to stop there. Some of you, you know this story well. You're reminded of it. There's a few things that I want to point out. One is that there are times where we need to be obedient and do 
things that we've been told to do, right? Like, so when I say, hey, sometimes we just follow the crowd. Well, here Jesus is telling his disciples, go ahead and get the colt and untie. And when they, and he gives them the instructions and they follow the instructions. Listen, um, I, I know Jesus tells us that we're like sheep without a shepherd. We are. That's part of this whole human nature thing. We, we just follow along, you know, um, Amy Beth's dad makes a joke sometimes when, when we're in uh, large crowds and he feels like we're just being herded like in an airport, uh, cattle, uh, like cattle, and he'll start mooing. He'll start moo, moo. I'm like, okay, Joe, he's a funny guy, but uh, you know, he's a dad. So the dad joke gets old when you've heard it, I don't know, like a thousand times. So uh, I say that we're about to go on vacation with him. So I'm anticipating some of this stuff happening. Um, but we are, we do, we follow the crowd, we go along. But here, sometimes that's a good thing, right? Like I remember one time, my, my dad, who doesn't like being in those lines, right after 9-11, we went on a trip and we're in a line that leads to another line that leads to another line. And my dad and another Asian man come up and they're the last ones in line and they're just grumbling at the top of the, why are we in another line? We just came out of a line, why are we? I'm like, dad. They're going to take you aside and pull you aside for another three hours if you don't zip it. Like, just be quiet. This is not the time to protest. Just get in line. Follow. And, uh, and he did eventually, but you could tell he was upset. But, but there are times where we should just do what we say, what we're told, right? Like, we don't always have to be in rebellion against authority. There are people who are often looking out for the best of us who we should fall in line with. However, I think the problem becomes when we just do it blindly. Like my hope is in the story that these disciples who went and got and listened to Jesus, they knew Jesus. It pleased them to follow Jesus. It pleased them to listen to Jesus, to go get that cult. Yeah, the master tells us to do something. We really love this man. I'll do whatever. Remember Peter? He's like, I'll do whatever you, you want me to do, Lord. I'll defend you to the death. And then when they finally ar arrest him, he pulls out his sword and lops the guy's ear off. You know, he was ready for it. But then when Jesus was actually arrested, he after he'd already cut a guy's ear off, by the way, and willing to pull out his sword and fight to the death, then he denies him three times. And so to me, it shows me within this story of the Holy Week and Jesus being arrested and all these things happening, there's an emotional roller coaster that we as human beings go through when we're deciding who we listen to. And we all have our own internal voice to listen to. And then we have all these external voices that we listen to and we have to like discern do I listen to the people around me and the crowd that's yelling Hosanna and do I listen to them do I listen to these Pharisees who are questioning Jesus authority hey maybe they're right if Jesus really isn't God we shouldn't be worshiping this guy and then he says well if we don't worship the rocks will worship he's saying creation would be obedient to him if we're not obedient to him maybe he really is god you know you got to sort these things out in your head and i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine living in the time of jesus and you had to sort it out you had to say well he is doing miracles but the pharisees say he's doing it by the power of the devil but but then i don't know he's showing love and compassion and and, and it sounds like he knows the scriptures pretty well and he talks to god like he's his 
father? I've never heard that before. You know, like all of these things we have to sort out. And so, so I think when someone's take, here's, here's some advice, people. When you know someone is taking their time to follow Jesus, let them take their time. You know the parable of the sower? The ones that spring up real fast have no roots, right? Sometimes people need to figure out the cost they need to sort out the voices. They need to figure out, is this Jesus worth following? And I know we're online, and so I want to encourage you, if, someone, if you're someone who's watching online and you're thinking, I don't know, like I still haven't decided if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's okay to figure it out. We don't follow blindly. People say, oh, Christians just have blind faith. I say we have faith. And we do have faith in the unseen realm, the things we cannot see. But there is evidence in this world that we can see, which leads us to believe in the things unseen, which I would not call blind faith. I would say it's faith with an evidence. Scripture is part of that evidence. Our testimonies are part of that evidence. The resurrection is the greatest evidence of them all. So we look at this story. We see how they're celebrating Jesus coming to town. Pharisees are doubting. And I I read verse 41, even though it's kind of coming to the end of the triumphal uh, um, entry, because Jesus weeps over the city. So this is what I think is happening here, is Jesus, he is seeing this wrestling match going on in the lives of the people of Jerusalem. He sees how some people want to praise him. He sees how some people are coming against him. He knows the condition that you and I are in as sinful human beings. And it breaks his heart because you know what? Jesus was there at the creation of the foundation of the earth. Jesus was there when he created Adam and Eve. And his intention was that he would walk with us in the cool of the day. His intention was that he would, we would commune with him regularly without this sinful nature separating us. And so now he's walking into Jerusalem to set this all straight and still the creation who he made without this intention to be at battle is battling right in front of him and he breaks down and weeps. I mean, we got five kids. We see our own kids fight with each other and and it's hard enough, you know? This is his creation. These are his children and they don't see what he's trying to do and he breaks down and he weeps. Jesus loves us. He has compassion for us. Luke chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. By the way, I skipped over this scene of Jesus being arrested with Peter slicing a man's ear off, Peter disowning Jesus three times. Now Jesus is in front of uh, Pilate and Herod. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man subverting our nation. He opposed payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? 
You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When they learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him back to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been waiting for him. From that time he heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied with him many questions, but Jesus gave him no answers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe, and they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. I'm going to stop there before I read the end of the story because I think there's some interesting things here that speak again to our human condition. And one is this, is that Herod sees Jesus and he has a desire to see miracles. And he has questions for Jesus and he wants answers from Jesus, but Jesus isn't giving him miracles, isn't giving him answers to his questions. Again, this speaks to how we as human beings, even if people are testing out whether or not they're going to have faith in God, we'll wait to see if God pleases our desires first. Sometimes we even become Christians saying, yeah, I'll follow God. And yet, even though we might have been following God for a long time, we still tap our foot at God and say, God, but what have you done for me lately? Come on, church. Do we not still? Hoping that he just does what we want him to do, like almost, and I was telling him, it was funny because uh, uh, this week, um, Jack and um, Shane's son, Jack, and my daughter, uh, Macy, were outside, and it was uh, windy and raining, and they started yelling at the wind and the rain to stop, and I said, hey, you know, Jesus calmed the storm that way, and they're like, oh, really? And, and so they're like, well, we're going to pray that way too. And so they pray that way. They're like, it worked. It worked. It stopped. The wind stopped. And we got it to stop. And I said to them, I said, hold on a second right now. That's cool, but it doesn't always work that way. They're like, why not? If God, if God can do that, God can do that, right? You know, the kids are like, of course God can do that. And I'm like, no, yes, God can do that. But there's times God doesn't do that. And so I have to tell two eight-year-olds, why would God not answer our prayers? Which is a big theological question even adults don't know how to answer. And I'm sure Herod in this question, why aren't you doing what I tell you to do, Jesus? And don't we still ask, why aren't you doing? And the answer to that is because God isn't a genie. This is what my answer was to the kids. God's not a genie where we rub the lamp and we get three wishes. God is a person who loves us, wants to be in relationship with us, and sometimes it's not in our benefit for him to answer our questions or, or do the things we want him to do, all the miracles we'd love him to do in our lives. Because he knows what's better for us in the long run. 
By the way, Shane, I told Jack, your dad knows what's better for you in the long run, so he doesn't give you everything you want right now. And I said the same thing to Macy. Your dad doesn't give you everything you want right now because I know what's better for you in the long run. In the same way, our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us in the long run. And to just satisfy, you, you don't think Jesus knew if Herod would follow him? He knew the condition of Herod's heart. He didn't satisfy Herod's desires because he knew Herod had no desire to really follow him. And so as we read this story, I, I don't want us just to see Herod as the bad guy. I think we've got to realize there are moments we do the same thing. God, just bail me out of this situation one more time. Oh God, just heal my family member. Oh God, just do this for me. Not to say we shouldn't ask, not that we, sh- that we shouldn't seek and knock. Jesus tells us to do all these things. But, but what is our heart's motivation in asking for that? Do we still trust God even when he doesn't? Verse 13. Oh, one more thing. Verse 12 is kind of interesting, I found too. On that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. You see two of the bad guys in the story becoming allies. There's unity even amongst the bad guys. And I think this, sometimes in the church, we want unity so badly. We want everybody to just get along. Just because we're getting along and people are getting along doesn't mean they're right. Sometimes people unify over the wrong things. Remember the Tower of Babel? What God says at the Tower of Babel is like, they, they'll do anything. They can do almost anything and they'll be unified, yet it wasn't God's will. God wants his church to be unified. Don't get me wrong. Jesus prays for unity in the garden that the church would be united. But you have to discern, is it God, the God, unity that God is doing or sometimes unity happens even amongst the enemies? So that's, I found verse 12 interesting for that reason. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither, Her- neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to, to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I found him on no ground, I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with Loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demands. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Out of this whole story, whenever I've read it, from chapter 21 where Jesus is coming in to chapter 23 and the crowd's yelling, crucify him, might sound strange, 
But when I put myself in the story, I see myself in the crowd yelling, crucify him. Because I see my sinful nature. We all do things that we know are wrong. We can read this story and know that it was wrong of them to yell, crucify him. And yet we still know we do the things that we know are wrong. This is why he needed to come. When Mel Gibson filmed the movie, The Passion of the Christ, he wanted to film the scene, he wanted to be in the scene where Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross. He wanted to be the one who drove the spike into the hand. Obviously, it was a movie, so it was a prosthetic hand, but he wanted to be the one who drove it in. Why? Why would Mel Gibson want to do that? Because Mel Gibson knew he was a sinner. He knew it was his sin that put him up there. This is why I know that when I read this story, I see myself in the crowd because I know my sin put Jesus on the cross. I think if we see ourselves only as the good guys in the Bible, we're not reading the Bible properly. Jesus came to save us from this. Now, Again, thankfully, we're on the other side of the cross. We gain the victory. We get the resurrection. We get Jesus and the Spirit within us, living through us, to change us from that wretched person that we were so that we can be who he wants us to be. But the reality is we still face a a battle, a war between the flesh and the Spirit a spiritual battle in our hearts. But this is why we celebrate Good Friday. This is why we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is why next week we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because we went from being dead in those sins, being the ones who would yell crucify him to the ones who celebrate the fact that he still forgave us even though we were the ones who nailed him to that cross. Imagine that. Imagine you crucified someone. You put someone on a cross. I know it's hard for us to envision us physically doing it, but it's what, who we are. It's our brokenness that did it. And yet he loved us. Next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but one thing between now and then that I continually remember is that when he's on that cross on Good Friday, He says, forgive them. And he's talking specifically about people who are rolling the dice for his clothes. He's talking about the guards who are are mocking him. He's talking about the crowds who are witnessing them, the same crowds who yell crucify him. And he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They didn't have it figured out. But now, here's the beauty of it. We can know why he did it why he gave himself. He did it because he loves us. And, and I envision the cross being the symbol, yes, of death, yes, of a, a, a torturous penalty, yet I still see his arms splayed out wide saying, I love you. 
you know, like, like you're going to someone who you love and, and you put your arms out wide. And, and, and I know that as he was dying and he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He loves us. He was loving us in that moment. Bible says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting love. He came knowing this was his final mission. I know we call it the triumphal entry and Jesus comes in on a donkey and they're celebrating him, but he knows he's coming to give his life. No wonder he just gets off the donkey and the next thing he does is weeps. I'll be honest, church, this story does not get old for me. And one day we'll be in glory and I believe we'll still be singing of the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. That is our Jesus, our Savior. And so as we close up this service, I think it's only appropriate as we talk about our own sinful nature, our own humanity, is that we surrender that at the foot of the cross and we ask Jesus to wipe away our sins with his blood, wash us again clean, help us to follow him even closer. And if you're someone who's never made a decision to follow Christ and you're recognizing that it's your sin the things that you do wrong, your own human sinful nature that put Jesus on the cross, recognize that he still loves you and died for you and forgives you and wants you to follow him. Because next week we'll talk about the resurrection and how we follow a risen Savior. We follow a God who is still alive. He is not dead. He is alive. Amen? Father, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you gave us your son. We thank you, Jesus, for taking those wounds. We thank you, Jesus, that even as they were mocking you, even as they were spitting on you, slapping you, whipping you, torturing you, you still loved us. Lord, we confess our brokenness. We confess our sinfulness. We confess our need for you. But we thank you that you still love us and you invite us in. We thank you, God, that you are Hosanna. You are our rescuer. Thank you for rescuing us from our human nature, our sinful nature. Thank you for pulling us not only away from a Roman oppressing empire, but you pull us away from a greater problem, that problem of our sinfulness. And so, Lord, once again, we say we need you. We confess our sins before you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, Lord Jesus. Church, I encourage you that if there's something that you find is between you and God, maybe there was um, a moment um, recently where you might have had anger or bitterness or jealousy or lust or 
anything that you know God didn't want you to have, would you just tell Jesus, I'm sorry? And the word of God tells us that he is faithful and just and he forgives us from all of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.